0: By nature, everything uh, is designed to fulfill its purpose. Uh, Everything results in its designed end. For example, the flower seed grows into a beautiful mature plant. The little baby boy grows up to be a full-grown man and looks a lot like his father. Uh, The octopus embryo, even though it looks like a chicken embryo, turns out to be a very strange sea creature, all designed by God to accomplish that very thing. God has designed everything to work to its end. So what is the designed end of a regenerated person? What's the end game of a person who has come to Christ, who knows Jesus as his or her personal Lord and Savior? Well, the Bible would tell us, what we've just heard read would tell us, that the regenerated person has an enlarged heart, a new heart that draws its owner to its designed end, which is holiness, which is Christlikeness. So if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, God's design for you is that you become like his son, Jesus Christ. God desires that you grow in holiness and Christlikeness and become a mature man or woman of the faith. Now, that may be the natural and ultimate end to which we're headed if we're in Christ, but we've been in the scriptures long enough to know that without some sort of participation, some sort of spiritual activity or cooperation with the Holy Spirit, these things don't happen as they should, at least not at the pace we would like them to happen, right? Uh, Things slow to a snail's pace if we do not have uh, an intentional pursuit of the things of God. So what is it that we can do to cooperate with the Spirit, to accelerate our designed end of becoming like Jesus? I think one of the best places that we can begin is by examining our desires, looking at our hearts, and determining whether or not we truly want to be holy, truly desire to be Christ-like, as the verse under focus today says, verse 40, behold I long for your precepts and in your righteousness give me life do you want to grow in holiness do you desire to be like Jesus Jesus said in his first sermon in Matthew 5 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied so Jesus said that those who will be spiritually satisfied those who will become like Jesus are those who really want to grow in holiness, in Christ-likeness. So the good place to start this morning is simply asking this question. Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I truly desire to be like Jesus? Psalm 140 can be broken up into two parts and the first is the goal of the godly the goal of the godly, and the second is the power to attain that goal, the power of the godly. So the goal of the godly and the power of the godly can be read like this, Behold, I long for your precepts, in your righteousness give me life. So let's unpack these things together. First of all, the goal of the godly. How are you going to become a godly man, a woman, or teenager, or child? How do you plan to make that happen? Are you working on something specific? Do you have a goal in mind, a a path to follow? To have a passion for God and his word is a good goal for every Christian, but how's that gonna happen? Are you going to keep doing what you're currently doing if you're not seeing the results that you had hoped for? St. Bernard of Clairvaux said, he who is his own pupil has a fool for a master. So, are you gonna continue following your practices like you've always done and never seeing the results that you say you want? I I think that it's a good idea to, to get outside of yourself if something's not working and try something new. The path to holiness is the subject matter of this entire Psalm. Psalm 119 is about how to be holy how to follow Christ, how to be like Jesus. It is a map for the Christian life. Uh, It identifies the central elements of what it means to follow Jesus. It instructs the reader on the pursuits of holiness. And so we should remember as this stanza that we're in right now, verses 33 through 40 points out, that there is a way that's marked out by God in this text for how to arrive at our destined end, holiness. I think most Christians want to become holy and want to see their life reflect the life of Christ. But wanting something and doing something usually are two different things, aren't they? The key to experiencing a holy life is to get your will to follow your desires. Is that happening? Do your, does your will line up with your desires, the things that you say you want? Are those things happening in your life? You say you want holiness. You say you want to be like Jesus. Is your will following suit? Paul had this same challenge. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7, verse 18, said this For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. Lo and behold, Paul's just like you and me. He has all these grand hopes and dreams and desires, but can't seem to follow through. Now, Psalm 119, verse 40, is about that person who genuinely longs for God and is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. So if you're struggling to see any growth in personal holiness or any true satisfaction in your relationship with God, I want you to consider what I'm going to say today from the text. Even if you see signs of spiritual life and a deepening interest in God, I think that you'll be encouraged if you'll listen today. So here's a summary, if you will, if you'd like summaries. Developing your longings for God is a key part of fulfilling those longings. Developing your longings for God is a key part in fulfilling those longings. You say you wanna be like Jesus? develop that longing. You say you want to become like Christ? Develop that longing. So, with that in mind, let me ask you an obvious question. Is there a difference between a passing wish and a biblical longing? Obviously, there is. What is it? What is the difference? Let me, let me lay it out here for you as clearly as I can. Uh, I've, I've titled the sermon, Wishers versus Longers, and I know longers isn't a word, but we're going to pretend it is today, all right? Wishers versus Longers, longing being the type of thing that's mentioned in verse 40, that's right before you, longing for God's precepts. Are you a wisher or a longer? First of all, to, to distinguish the difference between the two, I think everyone is attracted to an abstract or general idea of holiness. I believe that even the ungodly degenerate sees holiness as a virtue. I think everybody wants to be a better person, right? Even the worst amongst us wants to be a better person. But how intense does your desire have to be or your wish need to be before it will have an effect on your will. How badly do you need to want something before something changes in your life? I mean, we all are familiar with this kind of thing. Uh, if If you're familiar at all with dieting, you know what I'm talking about. You want to lose weight, but you seem to not be able to do so. Maybe I should make it more personal. I want to lose weight, but I just can't seem to pull it off. How badly do I need to want to lose weight before it actually happens? That's the question. Wishers don't really know what holiness or walking with God means. If you remember back in John six, Jesus was talking about the necessity of the bread from heaven. In order to have a relationship with God, in order to experience all that God have, has for us, we need to know and encounter the bread from heaven. Jesus was referring to himself. And he said, if you have this bread, you will no longer be hungry. And the crowd goes, give us that kind of bread. We like that idea. And Jesus explained to them what it meant to have that kind of bread. And they ended up not being so interested. Because it took a little more effort than they were Interested in giving People that say they love God and say they want a deeper walk with him But can never seem to get going in spiritual matters are interested in a general idea of holiness But will not embrace the particulars that are required to become holy That's what wishers are like Daily communion with God reading the word prayer meditation Christian fellowship seem to be just a little bit too difficult for wishers to be consistent in. They don't really want it bad enough to do that consistently. You see, having an intangible whim towards God is not bad, it's just not enough to become a longer. Does that make sense? Secondly, wishers' wishes tend to be flashes in the pan. Wishers' wishes tend to be flashes in the pan. You know, I, I've been around plenty of wishers. Um, I've, I've heard plenty of intense hopes and plans and uh, spiritual goals. I've even seen a tear or two shed concerning these things. But there never seems to be any sustained interest in the pursuit of God in the lives of wishers. Wishers may receive some sort of prompting from a sermon they hear or a blog or article they read that motivates them to open their Bible and and start a a, a Bible reading guide or, or a prayer journal or attend a small group or even, you know, God forbid, attend a Sunday seminar for a few weeks. But then the cares of life and the frantic requirements of lifestyle Creep back into a prominent position and their wishes drift off and disappear over their spiritual horizon. Does that sound familiar? Their spiritual energy runs out. I was mowing my lawn the other day, and I had a can of gas can of gas out to fill up my lawnmower. And because my wife loves stray cats, she feeds them, and they tend to be around our house more than I like. Um, But this cat walks up and starts drinking this out of this gas can. And all of a sudden this cat goes berserk. Just starts running all over the place, up and down the walls, over the lawn furniture, jumping up and down, screaming around, all of a sudden falls over. Sherry comes out and says, John, what's going on with that cat? And I said, it must have run out of gas. spiritual energy runs out. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 13. That wasn't a true story for you susceptible people. (laughs) But Jesus tells a similar story in Matthew 13 when he does, gives us the parable of the sower. He said, other seas fell on rocky ground Where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up. They looked good, they looked attractive, but since they had no soil, they died out. Ran out of spiritual energy. This seems to be very typical in human experience, because all the way back, three to four thousand years before Jesus said this, God had the same opinion of the Israelites. He had given them his commandments. The people in unison stand up and say, we will do this. This is a good idea. God, we're going to follow you to the end. And look at the way God responds to them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. After all this burning wishing, oh, that they had such a heart as this always. I know you're going to run out of spiritual energy, God says to their face. And they did. A closer look at Matthew 5-6 that I read for you earlier reveals an interesting insight. Look again with me at Matthew 5-6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Now the words hunger and thirst here that Jesus used are actually present active participles. And you know what those things do, right? They show, they show present action, ongoing present action. So, so Jesus in Matthew 5, 6 was talking about longers, not wishers. We could translate Matthew 5, 6 like this, and it would be accurate. Blessed are those who are presently hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Currently. You see, Jesus was talking about people who have a sustained interest in the pursuit of holiness. Those are the ones who are going to be blessed. Those are the ones who will end up looking like me. Those are the ones who will end up being just like Jesus. The ones who have a sustained interest in the things of God. Not those who have a flash in the pan desire that disappears with the sunset. There's an old English word for the kind of wish that never produces results. The word is valiity. It even sounds temporary, veleity. It's a word that means a mere wish unaccompanied by an effort to obtain it. It's like the sluggard of Proverbs. They wanted to be wealthy, but they weren't willing to lift a hand to pursue it. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Yeah, I I really like what I'm reading here. But I really don't have the time to do what it takes to get there. You see, the longer is seen in Psalm 27.4. He said, one thing have I asked for of the Lord. If you could ask one thing, would it be this? Listen. That I would seek after, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, not just when there's no conflicts, not just when it's convenient, but I would dwell in the house of the Lord all my days and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's a longer, not a wisher. Um, Riverside Christian School requires, uh, at least they used to, I'm not sure they still do, but I think they do, they require... Uh, families of students to participate in a local church on a regular basis. And they used to bring in a document that the pastor would sign saying, yeah, they're regular participants in this church body. And we had a family that attended here that had their children there at Riverside and they brought me this document that says, you know, what I just said to you and I told them I can't sign that. They go, well, why not? I said, well, because you're not here regularly, (laughs) and I think I need to tell the truth. And they go, well, we're here whenever it's convenient. And I said, there's the problem. That's exactly the point. Being a longer is not about convenience. (laughs) That's a wisher. Now, we all know the difficulty of what I'm talking about. Let's look at how it can be accomplished. Let's see how from Psalm 119 verse 40, we can have the power to do this. The verse says, behold, I long for your precepts. There's the goal. Now here's the power. In your righteousness, give me life. Do you see it? I think you'll discover as you grow in Christ and you grow older as a Christian that you need ongoing disbursements of God's grace I I know that I know that, have experienced that. Um, Your initial experience of grace at the point of regeneration when you're converted by the Holy Spirit brought spiritual life to your soul, gave you an enlarged heart, and it was done by the work of the Holy Spirit in a gracious manner, and that guarantees your relationship with God and your eternity with Him. But... In order to continue to grow in Christ's likeness continue to grow in your hunger and thirst for righteousness, there needs to be more grace dispensed from the Spirit through the Word to your soul. This is what the Holy Spirit does. If we're going to become like Christ, there are more necessary gifts given of grace to make us longing people, to help us be obediently living His precepts. This is what the psalmist has been asking for throughout this whole chapter. Like verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. God, if you give me an enlarged heart, I'll run. You know, almost every single stanza has that kind of verse in it. Acknowledging the necessity of God's involvement. Charles Spurgeon, who wrote a wonderful devotional, called Morning and Evening, from June 11th commenting on 1 John 4.19 that says we love because he first loved us, wrote this devotional. I'm going to read it for you in its entirety, take about 90 seconds. Listen to this wonderful and pertinent description of longing. There is no light in the planet but that which proceeds from the sun. And there is no true love to Jesus in the heart, but that which comes from the Lord Jesus himself. From this overflowing fountain of the infinite love of God, all our love to God must spring. This must ever be a great and certain truth, that we love him for no other reason than because he first loved us. Our love to him is the fair offspring of his love to us. Cold admiration when studying the works of God anyone may have, But the warmth of love can only be kindled in the heart by God's spirit. How great the wonder that such as we should ever have been brought to love Jesus at all. How marvelous that when we had rebelled against him, he should, by a display of such amazing love, see to draw us back. No, never should we have had a grain of love towards God unless it had been sown in us by the sweet seed of his love for us. Love then has for its parent, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. But after it it is thus divinely born, it must be divinely nourished. There has to be ongoing grace. Love is an exotic, it's not a plant which will flourish naturally in human soil. It must be watered from above. Love to Jesus is a flower of a delicate nature. And if it is received no, and if it receives no nourishment, but that which could be drawn from the rock of our hearts, it would soon wither. As love comes from heaven, so it must feed on heavenly bread. It cannot exist in the wilderness unless it be fed by manna from on high. Love must feed on love. The very soul and life of our love to God is his love for us. Friends, this is really important stuff. You want to be a longer? God must do the work. But you must participate. This is the request of Psalm 119.40. The fundamental reality is that there is a saving work of the Holy Spirit that takes place at the moment of regeneration, and then there is an ongoing work of sanctification of becoming like Jesus that the Holy Spirit also must participate in. To consider regeneration, we could go anywhere we wanted to in scriptures, but one that's familiar to you is found in Ephesians chapter 2 says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead, you need to be revived, you need a heart, you're dead. And then here comes regeneration. Verse five, Ephesians two, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So there's that initial work of grace that brings you to life like Lazarus when Jesus said, come forth. The same kind of thing happened in your heart spiritually. Jesus said, live, and you took a breath of spiritual air for the first time. That's regeneration. Now you need to keep breathing. You need to keep having your heart enlarged and strengthened, and that's what the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and does throughout your Christian experience. This is what makes you long for God. So why do we need these extra gifts of grace and fusions of grace as we mature in Christ? because we have a spiritually fatal disease. We have all sinned and this corruption is eating at our souls, which Paul talks about in Galatians 5 when he says, for the desire of the flesh, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you wanna do. There's this battle raging on in your life and I know you've recognized it One has you interested in the things of God. One has you disinterested in the things of God. And that's why we plead with God to continue to fill us with his grace so that we'll long for him more than we do the world. We see this process of growth taking place all over the New Testament. Peter talks about it, 1 Peter 2, 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. It's a process you're in. Do you see it? Are you growing? Have you experienced this movement Godward? We are being built up. We need the ongoing work of the Spirit. We need the new heart. We need Him to continue to exercise it. We need Him to enlarge it so that we can run in the way of His commandments. In order to be lively Christians, we need the longings deposited in our soul by the Spirit of God. This is what the psalmist said in chapter 80, verse 18. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Just give me life, and I will follow through are what these words are saying. Without that continual intervention, even against our will, the Spirit of grace, he he brings these, these desires to our soul, these longings to our heart. If we do not receive those, we drift away from the dock and find ourselves being blown to and fro on the open sea of life. And it's out in that open sea of life where we grow spiritually cold, even with a new heart. This was the case with the church in Laodicea, wasn't it? In Revelation chapter 3, the Holy Spirit said this, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, this wasn't a group of unregenerate people. This was a group of Christians, the church of Laodicea. They'd grown spiritually cold. And when you try to live a holy life out of a condition of spiritual coldness, you know what the first thing is to go? Joy. So if you are making a, a grand effort at the Christian life and are joyless, what's that mean? If we serve a God who is supremely happy, but we are supremely sad, what's that mean? How do we build a genuine desire? How do we, how do we develop a genuine longing for the things of God, for holiness? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 has an idea. It says here, strive. Strive. Strive for it. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you want the longings that will result in Christ-likeness? Do you want those, those impulses that will result in you becoming like Jesus? Then strive for them. The word itself means effort. So how do we strive? I have five ideas. First is plead with God. If this comes from God's hand, which I've just shown you it does, and Philippians 2.13 confirms it, for it is God who works in you, to will and to do according to his good pleasure. If God is the one who provides the will and the power to pursue holiness, to create longings of the soul, then run to that God. Plead for his mercy and grace. Ask him to give you an appetite and a longing to follow through. If there is any request or desire, I think, in line with the will of God, it's this one, to be holy. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and my Father will do it. How about this one? God, you've commanded that we be holy. Please help me do so. Is that in line with God's will? Yes. Then go to him and ask that request. Plead with him. It's the heart of Christ to give. God is a giving God. For God so loved the world that what? He gave. He is a giving God. Especially to those interested in his gifts. Jesus is a giver by nature. He says this in John 6, 27. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures your eternal life, which the Son of Man which I will give you. Do you desire a longing that will change the course of your life, that will give you an intimacy with God that is rewarding? Plead with the God who gives for it right now. Next, mimic the godly. Mimic the godly who do these things. Paul said this to Corinthians Church in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You want to have a relationship with God like I do? Follow me, Paul said. Do what I do. You see, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness consistently do certain things in their life. They they have established spiritual disciplines. Even in the dry seasons, they seem to continue to find themselves in the word, in prayer, in fellowship. Even when sorrow is weighing heavy upon their soul. You want that? Mimic them. You know, every day we practice a metaphor that I think God has designed to show this to us, to demonstrate our spiritual need. The strange thing happens to me that forces me to go to our, my refrigerator, refrigerator every day. I get thirsty and I like chilled water, so I instinctively find my way to the refrigerator. And I put the glass up there and fills it with cold water and I drink it, and somehow I can't even explain it scientifically, but it happens, my thirst goes away. Water, thirst goes away. Now, people who hunger and thirst for righteousness recognize the supernatural element and know that the continuation in godliness is a work of grace and grace is dispensed in certain places, All right. God has grace outlets that He's placed around our lives. One of them is that thing you hold in your lap. It's called the Bible. That's a grace outlet. Another one is worship together with other saints. That's where you are now. Another is prayer. God uses all these grace outlets and he's placed them strategically around your life so that when you desire more longing, you go to those places, and guess what? God does his work. So if you're one who doesn't seem to have these consistent longings, I would simply ask, when's the last time you were at those grace outlets? Do you regularly show up to the places where God satisfies Thirdly, improve your tastes. <clears throat> what are your spiritual taste buds like? What gets you excited? Improve your taste. You know, we can easily overdose on worldly things and the pursuit of those things, the worthless things talked about up here in a few, uh, verse 37. We can overdose on that stuff easily. But you can never overdose on Jesus. You can never get too much of him or become too holy. Matthew Henry said it like this, tastes of the sweetness of God's precepts will but set us longing after a more intimate acquaintance with them. So if you get a genuine taste of God in his word and fellowship with him in his word or with his people, guess what? It's going to cause a desire for more intimate acquaintance with those things. First Peter 2 2-3 through three, Peter was on to this and he was trying to encourage those readers of his in this same department to be longers. And he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. Find that grace outlet of pure spiritual milk, the Word of God, and suck on it. If indeed you've tasted that it's good, even though you may only be a wisher currently, but wish you were a longer, or long that you were a longer, Have you tasted that God is good at some point in your life? Have you personally experienced joy in walking obediently? Have you enjoyed the presence of the Holy Spirit at some point? Then get back into that place. Go back to that grace outlet. Return there, improve your tastes. Return to that well often. You know, not many of us, after tasting a, a, a wonderful dessert, say, man, I'm never going to do that again. No, we, we, we get the recipe. And we hand it over to the, the chef that lives in the house and say, figure it out. Right? No, we go back and back and back because we've tasted it and it's good. Let me me add verse 4 of 1 Peter 2. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good, look at the next four words, as you come to Him, that's five, next five words, as you come to Him, Peter's assuming if it tastes good, you'll come back for more. See, if you've tasted what is good, simply come back. Return to Jesus. Because He is the place of fullness. John, the apostle, says this in his gospel, in verse 16, chapter 1, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And it's not like the infinite one's going to run out of grace when you show up. No, Christ's fullness is infinite. It's not like the fullness of a container where you take something out and it's that much less. No, it's like the fullness of a fountain. You take something out and there's... Like nothing ever left. It's the fullness of a fountain, that's Christ. History tells us that one of the reasons the Gauls continued to press into Italy was because they had tasted Italy's wine and wanted more. It wasn't so much that they were interested in Italy. Italy was on a massive decline at that point in history. But they did make good wine, and the Gauls knew it. And they were going to continue to push into that place and get it. So, what are you filling your mind with? If we are to improve our tastes, what enters your mind? Are you reading good books or comics and their equivalent? Does your daily diet begin with the Word of God or with the sports page? Or with Facebook. You see, the more we pursue God, the more we desire holiness, and that, and that desire, if we pursue God, turns into longing. Try it. Set out some spiritual disciplines for a couple of months. Stick to it, and see if your appetite grows. I'm willing to bet that it will. Out in the lobby, we have a bookshelf, and on. I think two of the shelves, we have uh, numerous copies of books like Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. I think there's four copies of of those out there, Uh, but they're daily devotional guides. Do you desire to long? Do you long to long? Improve your tastes. Start reading and taking in things that will salt you so that you'll return for more and more and more. Pick up one of those books on the way out. Start today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Start today and begin. Fourth is guard your heart. We need to be careful with our affections. The seat seat of our affections is our heart. This is why in verse nine, the psalmist says, "'How can a young man keep his way pure? "'How can I stay on this path of longing? "'How can I continue to pursue Christ?' Says this, "'By guarding it according to your word.'" Guard your heart. This is where God operates. It's in your heart. And if your heart is calloused, if your heart is disinterested, then what? Proverbs 4:23, "Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life." That's where all this happens. Is in your heart. Don't fill it with with trash and garbage. In Romans 8, Paul said, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Guard your heart. Finally, prepare your heart. One of the best ways to develop a longing soul in cooperation with the work of the Spirit is to prepare your heart. Daily remind yourself, of those grace outlets and return to them. Know that that's the place of fulfillment and ask the Holy Spirit as you approach those things, whether in prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, worship, whatever you're doing, prepare your heart for the reception of God's goodness, God's grace. Pray and ask God, do your work in me today, right now, as I open your word Jesus said this in John 7:37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? There's the source. How bad do you want it? Will you prepare your heart for it? Will you, will you say a simple prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to do His work in you as you open the word. Holy Spirit, you've authored this word, Use this word to transform my life, to make me like Jesus. God, you've called us together to worship as a family of God. As I attend church today, please soften my heart. Keep me from being distracted. Teach me. Speak to me this morning. Change me. Are you preparing your heart? Recently I had a conversation with someone that's very dear to me and they asked me this why is it so hard why is it so hard to follow christ know god i mean if god wants to know me like it seems like scripture says he does why is it so hard why can't i just wake up with these instincts Well, I will will begin to answer that question by saying it is mysterious, for sure, to figure out how it is that that God in all of his power and and sovereignty has a difficult time with us. And yet at the same time, I'd like to answer the question, why is it so hard? By saying it is so hard because we have a sin-sick heart. We have a spiritual disease that's infected every aspect of our soul. This is why it's hard. Instead of naturally and instinctively following Jesus, we recoil against him and his truth and turn away from him and follow our own desires or follow the worldly patterns instead of him. But let me say one of the most important things. That's exactly why Jesus came. That's why our loving Heavenly Father sent Jesus, commissioned Jesus, His Son, to planet Earth. He came to seek and save the lost. He he was sent to gather into God's fold, His people. All that Christ is, He's designed Himself to be for you and me. He is a friend of sinners. His fullness matches our need. His righteousness, His power, His offices of prophet, priest, and king are designed for you and for me. So instead of filling my heart with earthly things that would distract me and things that would pass away and not fulfill me, why not fill it with Christ? Why not long for Him instead of these things that won't satisfy? Let me pray right now, if if you don't mind, that God would do this for you and for me. Pray with me. God, I want to long for you more than I do. I desire that the people of God here at Sun Valley Church would long for you. And we know that unless you do it, it won't happen. So please, God, in your mercy and grace, do this for us. I pray that you'll make longers out of us. And re- remove this passing whim that deceives us into thinking that we actually want you. Remove that from us, please, God. Help us see our desperate condition without you, and by your Spirit, empower us to pursue you. By your righteousness, give us life. That's what we, that's what we desire holy. Please do this in Jesus' name. Amen.